Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate one more time. What a great story that was. That's a great story. Well, so glad that you're able to come hang out with us here today. Everyone online, so glad you're able to come be a part of church this weekend as part of service. Uh, I'm so glad that I'm able to come and speak. Uh, If you were a part of church last week, how great was it to hear from Pastor Lisa? Come on, wasn't that just, I mean, really something else? How many of you already knew that she was a math nerd? Any difficult questions, just... Send to her office. I'm sure she'll pick that up. But uh, well, it's already been mentioned as part of service today that um, this, today, this weekend, marks one full year that we've been doing um, service online uh, since we initially had to shut down. And I think, and I want to say, uh, I think this gives true credit, and it really does showcase um, the, the passion, the ingenuity, the uh, creativity of the staff of the church that really came together and did whatever needed to get done to make sure that we were able to continue having church online. So, I mean, just worth remembering, we went from zero to 100 with church online. We didn't have a single church online presence, and yet here we are today. And I, I want to give full credit to uh, Luke, our worship creative arts director, for doing an incredible job of getting our online service to such a high quality. We are consistently getting churches asking us how we do it. So full credit uh, to him and his hard work. It's also worth giving him. Yeah, Absolutely. It's, uh, it's also appropriate to give um, a big honorable mention to his wife, Brenna, because if you look back at the old videos, we were filming church online in their apartment. So basically, their apartment became a studio, um, and apparently she was cool about it. So uh, she definitely gives a lot of props to that. Um, Pastor Jeremiah, he was able to um, spearhead and make sure that the online presence that we have, the online chat, um, some of you are on the online chat as we speak. Massive credit to him for figuring that out. Pastor Mike was on the phone call constantly with people checking in, seeing how people were doing. We had uh, Annie and Michelle, they're our admin staff here at the church, just making sure the wheels didn't fall off, trying to keep in touch with everybody. Uh, Carmen Durst, she's the school administrator over at Walker. She just had to completely reinvent how school was going to go for the next calendar year. Uh, I mean, really, the staff did an incredible job. And, um, you know, so as the church, you should be real proud of the job that the staff did. And for those of you that are parents, you'll remember seeing Pastor Lisa's videos all throughout shutdown to make sure that Church Online for Kids was awesome. And uh, yeah, so I, I hope that you're really appreciative of the incredible work that the church staff put in to make church happen. And so here we are, and uh, I can tell you that we've had an incredible couple of months. Um, really, since the start of the year, we've seen a number of people return to church. We've seen people that have started watching online that weren't watching, uh, weren't a part of any church prior to shutdown. Um, and so really, God has been been doing incredible things through Word of Life, through the ministry, and so uh, I don't know about you, but I'm excited about all that's ahead. Amen? Amen. Well, uh, we are now in week four of a series that we started a little while ago on the book of Isaiah, specifically Isaiah 53, uh, and so we're going to be continuing with that. If, you, if this is the first time you're hearing one of these messages, even though it's week four, um, you're okay to jump in. It's okay. You're not being left out of anything if this is your first time here. But about a month ago, I started putting the plans down on paper about what this series was going to look like. Um, I try as best as possible to plan ahead. Um, But as I put this down, I didn't really have an idea about what directions we were going to be taking. And so a lot has been happening over the past few weeks. Um, I'm really happy with how it's all been going, and hopefully it's been helpful to you. But this week, I sat down once again 
hopefully with a fresh pair of eyes, and went through Isaiah 53. And this week I noticed something that I hadn't seen before. Um, There was something that as I approached the text, as I approached uh, the verse that we're going to look at in just a few moments, that hit me that I hadn't um, appreciated, hadn't understood, hadn't thought about, didn't have any concern about uh, really until this week. And so that really has prompted what we're going to go through over the next period of time um, is really something that leapt out of me this week, even though I tried to be ahead of the game and get this figured out a month ago, this week really was a fresh week of, okay, there's something here that I hadn't caught up before. So the book of Isaiah... It was written about 700 years before Jesus, so about 2,700 years ago for us. And it's written to a group of people who are desperate to repair their broken relationship with God. They've been away from God for a period of time, and all kinds of bad things were happening. There was political ramifications of this. God had turned his back on them. God had given them warning after warning, and they had abandoned. They had forgotten God's warnings. And so here we are. We're at the point where the people that Isaiah is speaking to are desperate to repair their relationship with God. They're desperate to get back with him. And Isaiah 53 is a significant portion of the book of Isaiah. Uh, It is the most quoted or referred to or alluded to portion of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So extremely significant. And part of it is to build on this promise that there is going to be a Messiah. But what I didn't catch until this week is that if I put myself in the shoes of the people first hearing this 2,700 years ago, And I'm hearing this for the first time in a state of desperation. I want to get right with God. I want to experience the love of God. I want to experience his goodness. I want to live in his blessing. I want to live with the promises of God being fulfilled in my life. And then I hear Isaiah 53. I've got a good feeling that I would leave that feeling all sorts of confused. I would have questions that were coming to my mind. I would have there be a sense of being puzzled about what I was listening to because it's so contrary to the expectations I would be bringing to the table. So the promise of the Messiah was going to be a rescuer, but the people at this time, they were expecting this to look like and expecting this to be a military victory. They were expecting a rescuer to come that was going to take care of things politically by might or by force. And for desperate people that are desperate to get right with God, desperate for the Messiah to come so they can get that fresh start that they're hungry for, to hear the words of Isaiah 53, I would say is confusing. I would say is even scary and definitely unexpected. And a silly illustration that I came up with, and if you leave here today and you think, that was a ridiculous thing that guy said, I'm, I'm okay with it, but it's the best I got, okay? If you imagine if you have car trouble... And you come to me and you let me know. You say, Tom, I've got all kinds of car trouble. It just won't start. This is what's going on. This is what's going wrong. And I say to you in response, oh, you've got car trouble? I've got a plumber that can help you. It is right and appropriate that you respond with all kinds of confusion about what are you on about? But then I go even further and I say, and this plumber, he's a genius. And he uses dynamite to fix everything. The confusion that you bounce back at me is completely appropriate and completely right. And in that moment, you would have to ask yourself, how much do I trust Tom Wood? And as the people first hearing Isaiah 53, not getting the answers they were expecting, not getting the promise of God in the way they thought they would get it, the question they surely would have been asking themselves, and they would have had to do some deep digging in their hearts and in their minds, do we really trust God? Because his promises, his solutions, his answer to this does not look anything close to what we are expecting. Isaiah 53, it is a message of hope. It is a promise of victory. But it's going to come in a way that they never expected. It's going to come by a servant who would suffer and face death. 
Now, there are some Bible scholars and some Bible experts that would say that if Isaiah would have come out and said, King Hezekiah is going to be the Messiah you're expecting, people would have applauded that and would have welcomed that. He is a king who's good. His heart is towards God. He wants to see the, the nation turn back to him. And if they would have heard from Isaiah that God is going to raise this man up and he is going to lead them in the same way that David led, in the way that Moses led, in the way that they were expecting a hero to be, they would have been met with thunderous applause. But that's not what Isaiah said. He outlines a servant that is going to suffer. He outlines the crucifixion. This was week one of this series. He outlines that Jesus is going to go to the cross. It is not going to be pretty. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be brutal. It is going to look like the worst defeat. And in the worst defeat that you and I could ever imagine, God brings about the greatest victory the world will ever know. But they didn't know that. They just knew how desperate they were. And they just knew that what they were being told, this is the answer to your problem, this is the answer to your concerns, looked and felt and smelt like nothing they would have ever anticipated. It's a plumber with a stick of dynamite who's offering to fix your car. And I wrote this down, and if you're taking notes, and I always encourage you to do so, I found this helpful. Trust is tested in the unexpected. Trust is tested in the unexpected. And as I was thinking about all this this week, and like I say, this had really kind of hit me fresh this week. As I'm going through it, I was reminded of a very well-known verse that none of you all know very well. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And that word work together in the Greek, it's the same root word that we get for synergy of things working together and combining to work together for a single purpose. And I don't know whether looking at the example of, of God as a, a conductor of an orchestra, or I was thinking even more about a, an executive chef or a fine dining chef. So if you think about a, a, you know, a, a fine dining chef, they're making sure that each flavor and each ingredient complements each other, that each course works together with the whole meal. There have been some things that have been marinating overnight, and there are other things that need to get started right now. With a chef, there is one thing that they, they need to prepare uh, right now, and at the same time, they're trying to finish another thing. That's how a chef would operate, and on a much grander, indescribable scale, that is how God is working in the lives of his people. Trying to pull everything together. He is working everything together for the good of those that love God. And when it talks about the, the New Testament word for called, it could be read as an invitation. When you read your New Testament, you read the Bible, and you see the word called, if you understand that that is an invitation, you are called, you are invited to come along on a journey, and you are called according to his good purpose. You're invited to join with him in his good purpose. And when you accept that invitation and begin a loving relationship with God, you step into a promise that he is working all things together for his good purposes, which you are now included in. And we're going to dig into Isaiah 53 and we're going to look through and we're going to see a number of the unexpected things, the things that make no sense to be here, that would have been confusing the people that are hearing this for the first time. And if we do, I'm going to ask you to keep that verse from Romans at the front of your mind. It's going to help us shape things as we look at this a little further, but keep that verse from Romans in mind as we read through this. But Isaiah 53, starting in chapter 52, verse 13, see my servant will prosper. 
He will be highly exalted. But many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. And he will startle many nations. Kings will stand speechless in his presence. For they will see what they had not been told. They will understand what they had not heard about. And so here we see the first introduction of the Messiah, the first introduction of the rescuer, the one that's promised that's going to come. And it said, my servant will prosper, be highly exalted. Like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. The one that's going to come and fix up this whole thing, prospering, exalted, that makes sense. And very quickly it changes gear and we see his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. So we go from exalted and prospering to beaten up so bad that you couldn't even tell he's human in the matter of one verse. But then we change gears yet again and we hear about how kings will stand speechless in his presence. And we're going to look about this more next week. But I want you to catch this as an element of surprise. We're told he is going to be incredible, exalted, high, lifted up, prospering. He's going to get beaten up so bad that you're not even going to recognize him as human. And kings are going to be amazed at the things that he says. This is how it starts off, and it carries on as we go on to this. We will see that there is an intermingling, as Isaiah lays this out, of expected and unexpected. There's a welcomed promise of a Messiah, but there's a great deal of confusion about how it's delivered. We're going to carry on. 53 verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. So the Lord's presence is good. That's expected. For the Messiah to be in the Lord's presence is good. Tender green shoot. This follows on from other prophecies that you'll find. It's referred to elsewhere in the book of Isaiah and also in Jeremiah. That the branch or the shoot of uh, David or Jesse, who's David's father. This is also mentioned in the New Testament. So this is good. This is expected. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance. Nothing to attract us to him. So now we're back to unexpected. This is going to be the great hero that rescues us once and for all. This is the promised descendant of David. But you'd never know because he's completely unnoteworthy and completely forgettable. Nothing to attract us to him. Nothing beautiful and majestic about his appearance. Completely ignorable. And the next few verses, they go into greater detail about the beating, the physical pain, and the suffering that Jesus, the Messiah, would go through. He was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And his sheep is silent before the shearers. He did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants. That his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. And never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. It was the Lord's good plan that the Messiah, the promised ones, the one that would be exalted, 
the one that was the descendant of David that we've all been waiting for. It was his good plan that he would be crushed, that he would suffer like this. So to a group of people expecting a military hero who would rescue them by might and force, and here God is saying through Isaiah that it is actually by suffering, beating, and being a sacrifice, the victory is won. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, after the victory is won in ways that you wouldn't imagine, and after he has become the sacrifice that you need, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. And now it changes gear again. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. So here, right at the end of this passage, it's punctuated that he will be honored and victorious, not by might, but by the sacrifice of the cross and the victory of resurrection. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. So in that portion that we just read, we see intermingled what's expected, what's good, language of victory, language of glory, language that they were hoping for and anticipating around the Messiah. And then we also see many, many things that would have caught them completely off guard that they never would have expected for a prophet of God to say about the coming Messiah. So even though we heard that the Messiah would prosper and be exalted, that he'll impress kings, that he's gonna grow up in the Lord's presence, that he's fulfilling God's good plan, that this has eternal consequences, that it made possible for sinful people to heal their broken relationship with God, that he will get honors of a victorious soldier. These are the things that are expected. This is what you were looking for, hoping for, and believing for with the Messiah. But it also says that he was physically beaten and abused so badly, you would never know he was human, that he was despised and rejected, that the very people he came to help would turn their backs on him and look the other way, that he would die in shame and disgrace, and then it all looked like he was his own fault and that it's what he deserved. So here we have, as we look at this and the idea of the unexpected promise that Isaiah is laying out, it's unexpected on two fronts. The first is that the victory was greater than they ever could imagine. The people were expecting a military victory. They were expecting enemies to be beaten away with might and by force. And here the promise is, no, this is going to be defeated and this is going to be done because we're going to address the sin that is destroying relationship between humanity and the Father. The victory is greater than they ever could have imagined. And secondly, the victory was won by complete and utter defeat and disgrace. And just like me giving you the name of the worst mechanic you've ever heard of, the same question resounded in the people first hearing this. And it's a question that you and I should ask ourselves too, is that do we trust what God says? A call to follow is an invitation to trust. A call to follow is an invitation to trust. So when you accept God's invitation, you begin that loving relationship with him and you step into the promise that he is working all things together for his good purposes that you're now included in. The question is, do you trust? Do you believe the promises being laid out here? Do you trust that even though it looks, sounds, feels very different than you were expecting, do you trust that he's working in it despite your expectations not being met? 
despite it being very confusing at times, do you trust? Romans 8.28, one more time. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now normally, if you're anything like me, people like to quote this verse when you're having a really bad day. And they're not always sensitive about it. Come on, somebody. But normally, people will quote this verse to you when you're having a bad day. But it doesn't say, we know that God causes bad days to work together. It says everything. God causes everything, not just the bad. That's when we like to share this verse with people by way of encouragement, is that when you're having a bad day, God causes everything to work together. But it's not just talking about the bad. The word everything is all-encompassing. Everything. God causes everything. Other translations say all things. Everything. All things. Everything. God is working in all of it to bring about his good purposes. That means the bad. It means the good. And it also means the indifferent. God is at work at both the good, the bad, and the indifferent. And from the scriptures that we shared, the, uh, Isaiah 53, that verse from Romans, they don't necessarily belong together. They don't necessarily pair well, but they both hinge on the confidence that God is working his plans and purposes. Let me read again one of the verses from Isaiah, verse 10. But it was God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And if the response to this prophecy from Isaiah would have been confusing, scary, unexpected, this promise from Romans that was written hundreds of years later acts as a helpful complementary companion to what we just read about. Remembering that God works in both the good, the bad, the indifferent, and that'll help us as we keep that in mind because if we take what God has to say here in Isaiah 53 and we learn what it means about God and how he works with humanity and we start to apply that to our lives, I want us to keep this, uh, this idea from Romans that God's in the good, he's in the bad, he's in the indifferent. And no matter how confusing, no matter how scary, no matter how unexpected, if we trust him, we'll believe that he's working in all of it to bring about his good plans and purposes. And this is very out of left field, but one of the things that kept coming to me this week was the um, Holy Saturday. Now, Holy Saturday is a name that's been given to the Saturday between the Good Friday when Jesus was on the cross and died, and then Easter Sunday. And so it's become known as Holy Saturday. And the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about that day. Uh, we do know it was the Sabbath, so we can assume that people are chilling. And we also know that the two people that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus, they said that uh, the crucifixion and the death of Jesus was the talk of the town. So perhaps we can assume that that Saturday, there's a lot of gossip floating about about what happened to Jesus on Good Friday. Uh, Matthew tells us that the disciples were scared and that they were planning to run away to Galilee. Uh, Luke writes that some of the female followers of Jesus were preparing burial spices. But it's clear that the disciples were not preparing for the risen Messiah. And on Easter Sunday, they were all amazed, and some were even filled with doubt. And though the circumstances were very, very different, I wonder how many emotions were similar on that Holy Saturday, on that Saturday before the resurrection, were similar to what the people that Isaiah was writing to were also feeling. I would guess that for the disciples and the followers of Jesus on that Saturday, there also would have been sorrow. There would have been a desperate feeling. There would have been a sense of confusion. They would have been questioning, God, what are you up to? They would have been unsure about how he's going to work all this together. But trust is tested in the unexpected. And then fast forward on Easter Sunday, the disciples had the benefit of hindsight. 
They began to see what Isaiah was really writing about as they stood face to face with the risen Savior. They were remembering all the confusing things that Jesus told them about his death, and they began to realize what it all meant. They'd start to understand that what Paul would write about a few years later from them, that God does cause everything to work together for the good. And when they heard the declaration of Jesus being the Alpha and Omega that we can read about in the book of Revelation, the A to Z, the beginning and the end, with the benefit of that hindsight of, okay, he pulled it together. Okay, he, okay, Easter Sunday. We see now what Good Friday was all about because they now had the benefit of hindsight. How many of you are able to look back on a season and with hindsight see that God was able to pull something good from that season? A call to follow is an invitation to trust. Now, over the past number of weeks, I think we've, we've talked a lot about having faith, a, a strong, resolved faith in difficult seasons, and there's a lot more that could be said about it. But in hindsight, we can see that God does, is able to bring the good out of a worse season. Just like the disciples saw that on Easter Sunday. They saw God bring the best out of the worst that they saw on Good Friday. And I'm not going to pretend to you that we can get to the point where the rough seasons in life, the tragedies we face in life, the heartbreak we face in life, the trials that we go through, I'm never going to pretend to you that we'll get to the point of being glad that it happened or being glad that we walked through that season. But I do believe that we can get to the point of being able to see how God was able to bring something good from the very, very worst things in life. I do believe that we can get to the point, and I believe it's helpful to see that we can get to the point where we can see that pain wasn't wasted. The cross is the ultimate example of God turning defeat into victory. And there are millions of Christians all over the world that could tell their story of God turning defeat into victory. But the heart of the message of Isaiah 53 is the promise that God is going to fix the deepest problems of humanity. So in spite of the confusion, without anyone understanding, as they were listening to Isaiah say this for the first time, no idea about how this is all supposed to work out, this is still a message of victory and hope. And the people Isaiah were writing to, they understood their problem to be something that a strong military leader could fix, that someone that was raised up in the same way that David or Moses was risen up, that they could fix things. But God goes way deeper. He addresses the sin and brokenness that separates humanity from God. The expectation of good that the Jewish people had in their mind was exceeded by the unexpected best that God was planning. See, if Isaiah would have said, Hezekiah, he's going to rise up. He's going to lead you all to freedom. It appears that it would have been met with a thunderous applause. People would have welcomed the news that Hezekiah was indeed the Messiah. But we can now look at the cross and see this was an infinitely bigger victory than any military endeavor. What Jesus would accomplish on the cross was bigger than what people were expecting. It even superseded the parting of the Red Sea that was seen as the greatest moment in human history. And we would now look back and say, no, the cross is infinitely more significant and infinitely more powerful than even an entire ocean splitting in two so a nation could walk through it on dry ground. The cross is even greater than that. I would even say that the cross is the single most significant event in history. And this does demonstrate something of God's character that applies to all of us in our everyday lives, that when God works, he achieves more than we would estimate or expect. When God moves, when he works, when he breathes on something, when he brings freedom, when he brings, uh, when he brings blessing, 
It's far greater than we would ever estimate or we would ever guess. Another thing that I wrote down, and maybe it's helpful for you, what God starts with you never stops with you. As we bring this idea down to our lives and our everyday life and the life of faith that we're living out, God does things, God moves, God blesses in our lives. And in the same way that we could look at that and just acknowledge, yeah, that's good. Yeah, it is good, but there's a best. We could look and we could look and say, you know what? A military victory will take care of that. You know, it might temporarily, but what really needs to get fixed was the brokenness and the hurt that sin has brought to humanity so that we could have a healed and whole relationship with God. Yeah, a military victory would have been good in the time of Isaiah. It would have been good to have been able to back the armies away and get the political uh, junk fixed up in their lives. That would have been good. But what's best is that sin got addressed. And in our lives, you could look at something, a positive way that God has moved in your life and say, that's good. And I would say to you, if we take this principle and apply it locally, apply it to ourselves, yeah, it's good, but there's a best and we need to have the eyes open to see what is the best that God wants to do with the good that he has started in my life. And perhaps this is even the best takeaway for some of us today that you may be in the middle of a breakthrough. We've talked a lot about an enduring faith, a faith that sustains, but life may be good for you right now. You may be out of a ton of blessings that are coming your way right now. God may be bringing healing in your family right now. You may be feeling all kinds of emotional breakthrough. I don't know how God's moving. You may be in a good season. And the challenge to you is, you know what? Lift your eyes up and see how else is God looking to use this in the lives of people around me. The good things that God's done in your life don't stop with you. What God starts with you never stops with you. And this is a principle that you see throughout the scriptures. Joseph didn't just get out of prison or have a promotion because he'd been faithful. It was to save many, many people from starvation or famine. Moses wasn't just rescued as a baby in a basket in the Nile so he could enjoy the palace. He used the influence that Moses gained in the palace to set a nation free. David didn't just learn how to kill wild animals with a sling to rescue a few sheep, but to also defeat a giant that was going to defeat his people. Paul didn't just train and become a world-class expert in the Old Testament so he could be strong in faith, but so that he could write letters that are still changing the world today. It is consistent through Scripture. Jesus told parables about mustard seeds growing and yeast spreading in bread, blessing people beyond the person who planted the tree or baked the bread. And how does this affect you? How does this, wait, this is a question only you can ask. What has God done in your life? What good has God worked in your life that you can now look at and say, okay, Father, how are you gonna use this even more? I appreciate that this is good, but I believe that there's more you're gonna do with what I've got. What's a story that you can share? What's a way that you can bring encouragement to someone else? What is a skill that you've learned that you can use for kingdom purposes? What's an opportunity that you have to be a blessing to someone else? And this idea, this is exactly why on a Sunday morning we show stories from people who will say about their life change experience with God. How many of you love that video today of that kid getting baptized? Wasn't that awesome? We show that because, yeah, it's good that she got baptized. But it's incredible that a whole church has been encouraged by the testimony from this kid. That we, come on, that is now the better, amen? The good is what happened in her life. And I'll celebrate it. I'll high-five it. I'm all happy about it. But it's even better that we've been able to spread that out through the whole church community. How is God looking to take the good that he's worked in your life 
and bring about even more, bringing about the good plan that we read in Isaiah, bringing about the, the purposes that we saw in Romans. But the other part of this, and this really is coming from Romans 8, is that there's the forgettable and the insignificant. We touched on, I would say somewhat briefly, about how God is able to bring victory through defeat. We've talked a little about how God is able to take a victory and do even more with it than we would estimate. But from Romans, and we talked about the everything working together. Everything includes the indifferent. It includes the forgettable. It includes the things that were passes by, the boring and the dull, the stuff that's easy to ignore. God causes everything to work together for the good. God's at work in all of it. And Isaiah 53, verse two, there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. This is an unexpected way to describe a hero that was gonna be the savior of the world. Essentially, here's Isaiah, saying that the Messiah is gonna be forgettable and easy to overlook. Not what was expected. And I'm not sure how um, I stumbled upon this a few months ago, but uh, I, I'm, I love YouTube. And I don't mean, like, I know everyone likes YouTube, but I'll go an extra step above the normal kind of appreciation people have for YouTube. And I don't know what I was searching for, but I came across um, a, a group of videos by a mathematician. So it turns out Pastor Lisa is not the only math nerd in the church. By this mathematician, and one of the videos I saw from him, he was, he was talking about the concept of infinity. So infinity is not a number, it's, it's like an idea or a concept. And he was talking about this idea of infinity and trying to sort of get people to wrap their heads around it. And he's a mathematician, he's a, I believe he's a professor, so you know, he had some interesting stuff to say. But he pointed out something that I thought was fascinating. He started looking at um, zero to one. And he said, well, if you look at zero to one, you can go, you know, 0.5. And then you can go 0.6 and 0.1. And, and he goes, well, then you go another decimal place further and you've got 0.12. Or, and then you go another decimal place and you've got, you know, 0.123. And then you go another decimal place and you've got 0.1234. And on and on it goes. And the point he made was that between zero and one is infinity. Because the amount of decimal places you put after the zero point is infinite. Contained between zero and one is infinite potential. Between zero and one are possibilities that you and I could never imagine. How many zero to one moments do you have every week? Conversations that are easy to forget, easy to overlook, being stopped at a stop sign, a colleague you barely have to talk to and you have an interaction with them, an exchange with somebody at a restaurant, zero to one moments, moments that would never register with you, never register with me, Easy to overlook, it's just, it's just part of the day is getting through these zero to one moments. And I would say to you, and this is a massive challenge for me, but in those zero to one moments, there is infinite possibilities. There is infinite potential. We can look at it as it's, it's not even one, it doesn't even count. 
And I believe God's perspective is there's infinite possibilities here. There's infinite potential here. Moments that you and I would overlook. People that we wouldn't give a second thought to, a second regard to. A conversation that is in one ear, out the other. Easy to forget, easy to overlook. I have dozens of these a day, probably more if I started counting. And yet I believe God would say that he can do the unimaginable with the unremarkable. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. The Messiah, the savior of the world, easy to overlook, easy to ignore, easy to look behind. We don't know a whole lot about Jesus before he started his public ministry, before his baptism, but based on how people reacted to him as he started his ministry, I think it's safe to say that they were surprised that he would be somebody that would take that kind of authority and start speaking the way that he did. I think it's safe to say that Jesus was living a pretty typical life before his baptism, easy to overlook. We know he didn't perform any miracles. And yet this man who, from the little evidence we can point to and say, you know what, this is probably someone that was forgettable, easy to ignore, boring, dull, unexciting. He would be the one that God would raise up. It would be his only son that would go to the cross and would change all of human history and all of human eternity. What zero to one moments do you have in your life right now? God can do the unimaginable with the unremarkable. How is he gonna do it? Well, I don't know, do I? But I believe he will. I believe he will. Imagine how different it would be to live with that expectation that God's gonna take those everyday, those ignorable, those boring moments, and he can do incredible things. He can do life-changing things. And what if we live with that same expectation that God's able to work in the negative and the painful things to bring about his plans and purposes? And how about if we had that expectations that God can exceed our expectations and exceed our estimation of how good the good really could be? That he's achieving far more than we can imagine. And that even in those dull and forgettable moments, they've got an unimaginable potential to reach and help people. I've got a couple of questions for you. Uh, Hopefully questions like this at the end of a message are helpful. Hopefully it gives you something to take to the Lord in prayer and give you cause to reflect and think. The first one is this, is that what's something good that God can do more with? What's something good that God can do more with? What's a story that you have to share? How has God positioned you to be able to show his love and goodness to the people around you? What's something good that God can do more with? And the second question, what unremarkable things do you need to pay attention to? What unremarkable things do you need to pay attention to? What zero to one moments are you gonna have this week? What zero to one moments could be the opportunity God uses in your life to help somebody connect with him in a life-changing way? What zero to one moments do you have this week that could help bring about a breakthrough in your life if only you've got the eyes open to see it and the ears open to hear it. What unremarkable things do you need to pay attention to? It's amazing, we've been talking about this passage from Isaiah 53. I've personally enjoyed the opportunity to dig in and study it more and read up around it and it's been great for me. It's been very enlightening and real helpful for me as a, as a Christian. But it really does remind me over and over again as we hear about you know, God promising 
and God making declarations and, and God promising there's a better way and God promising a Messiah, it's helped me appreciate who Jesus is and all over again, all over again. The fact that even though it's confusing, even though it would have made no sense at the time, God says, you know what, I'm gonna fix this up. That God would take a first step towards healing a broken relationship with humanity. And not only would he take the first step, but the first step would mean being beaten to the point where you couldn't even recognize he was a man anymore. I can't wrap my head around that, and I don't ever expect to be able to. But once I came to a point where I realized this is true, it changed my life. And I don't know your story, and I don't know what brought you to church today. I, I don't know what you expected to come of you being a part of church service today, but maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm listening to you talk about a Messiah, about trusting someone, about God being able to do things, about God having plans and purposes. And as I'm speaking, you may feel completely remote and completely distant from what I'm saying. And I want to tell you, friends, that the Bible says if you take a step towards God, He takes a step towards you. And maybe today is the day when you take that first brave, courageous step to take towards Him, and you will find that your single step towards Him means He crosses the universe to get to you. If one person claps, we all should. Come on, it's just polite. Seventeen years ago now, I made the decision to follow Jesus. In that time, I've had ups, I've had downs, but I have never once regretted my decision to follow Jesus. To be able to come into a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father that will love me unconditionally, that will give me second chance after second chance, that will let me know that He's got plans and purposes that I never could have imagined for my life. It is the greatest decision I've ever made, and I believe it's the greatest decision any Christian has ever made. And if you're here right now and you want to make that decision, if you're ready, I'd love to pray for you today. I promise, I give you my word, we're not going to do anything to embarrass you or anything to make you feel weird. But if this is you today, if you're at that point, we're going to pray together as a church in just a moment. And I'd love to know if we're praying for you today. So I want to invite everyone here to close your eyes and bow your heads just to give some privacy to the people around you. But if you would say today, Tom, you know what? I'm distant from God. My relationship with Him is not good but I want to start following Him today. I want to take a step towards Him today. I want to heal my broken relationship with Him today. If that's you, I'd love to know who we're praying for when we pray in a moment. So if you could just put your hand up, just so I know who we're praying for. Amen, thank you. Online, you can click the button that says, I've raised my hand, just so I know who we're praying for. Anyone else here today? Amen, anybody else? Anybody else here today? I don't want to drag this out, but I don't want you to miss this opportunity. If this is you today, you're ready to start following God, and you want to start today, I'd love to pray for you. Anyone else here? Amen. Amen. Come on, Word of Life. Let's celebrate people finding God as part of church service today. Amen.
Amen. We're going to pray a prayer together. And the words are going to be on the screen. I'm going to say a line. And then if you want to say it back to me, and I want to ask everyone here to pray along with us. But if you're one of those people that put your hand up, or if you're one of the people online that push the button to say, I raise my hand, I want you to pray this believing that there is a life power, a life-changing potential when you pray a prayer like this. So come on, everybody. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me. I want to follow you. I invite you to be Lord of my life. Help me follow you every day. I want to leave my old life of sin behind and heal my broken relationship with God. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, one more time, everybody. Let's celebrate. Amen.